The party is back on the ballot. We have to break this party till you drop image. Roll back last call. I'm also concerned about the economic impact. Big money behind the battle on the beach. These grants encourage school districts to violate Florida law. School board sanctioned again. They can't pick and choose uh, which parts of the law they want to follow. We will not be pressured by the governor or the state. The masks and the money. It's a big issue in Florida and South Florida. And a local 10 exclusive. What you didn't hear from the vice president. It really has a direct impact on people in their daily lives. It's all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin today with last call. One question on one city's upcoming ballot that is riveting South Florida. Should Miami Beach roll back the hours, bars can serve drinks on South Beach and indeed throughout the city from 5 a.m. to 2 a.m. It is the most contentious question on the November 2nd ballot and it isn't even binding. It's a straw poll and the central issues are crime and the reputation of South Beach. Big money is flowing to sway voters either way. Business owners in the entertainment district say the three hours of drink sales have nothing to do with the crime and chaos on South Beach. And so does Michael Grieco, state legislator, former Miami Beach commissioner and Miami Beach resident. Among those pushing for the rollback and the redo, the current mayor up for re-election and former mayor Philip Levine with us as well this morning. Great to see you both and thank you so much for being hey, here. Gentlemen, great to see you and since we know you, have known you a long time, we'll do this on a first name basis. So Philip Levine, let's begin. Make your best argument why stopping booze sales at 2 a.m. is the first step in sort of revamping South Beach and helping all of Miami Beach. Michael, thank you and Glenna for having me on the show. You know, I'm not running for office and as a concerned father and a resident, I think I speak for a lot of Miami Beach folks that understand that unfortunately what we have been putting out across the country and the world is that we are an all night party, do as you please environment. It's not to say that these problems happen necessarily between 2 and 5 a.m., but when you are putting out a signal to the world that we are a party place, do as you please, the reality is we have to change the signal and the signal needs to be that we're taming the party but it's not all miami beach it's only a certain section of our city which seems to be the lawless reckless area which is the entertainment district now i can tell you that right. uh, uh philip some of the if, if we if if i can jump in here if glenna was going to but i will <laughs> beat me to it let's, let's <laughs> let michael grieco get in here and make his pitch why michael do you think that the this question is a, a is simply not a good one for the city and for the economy for all of Miami Beach. Well, simply stated, I, I feel like we're in Groundhog Day all over again. We did this four years ago, and 65% of the residents voted no. And the only thing that's happened between then and now is that there have been more bad headlines. But the problem is those bad headlines have no nexus between drink sales after 2 a.m., and, and, and that's the frustrating part. This is a problem that was created by City Hall. And I feel like on some level it was done on purpose. It's like demolition by neglect. You, you don't you know, take care of crime. You don't take care of the streets. In fact, you've created your own street party. 
and then you do it to deflect on what you created and you want to blame it on business leaders who have been here for decades and you're going to put people out of business you're going to put people out of jobs coming out of covid and it's it's somewhat ridiculous and i think it's it's really thumbing your nose at the 65 percent of the residents that went through this four years ago and they haven't made a pitch as to what's changed between then and now other than neglect from City Hall. All right, so I wanna pick up on something that you just said. You said street party. So Ocean Drive, which everyone in South Florida knows by now, has been closed to cars. It is a pedestrian thoroughfare, and there is a street party on many nights, and that's documented all over social media. So Phil, let's go to that street party. Let's all sort of stipulate there is chaos that people don't want across the board. There is crime that people don't want across the board. There are parties that people kind of like across the board. But this particular referendum is pinning it on three hours of bar sales in the middle of the night. How do you make the case that that is what is the culprit? Well, no. The cancer, the tumor of our city is Ocean Drive. It used to be the area that was our renaissance area where we were actually attracting people. Today, it's like looking at Fallujah. It's a dangerous place. You don't go there, Michael, you don't go there. I don't go there with my family. The reality is we have to change the signal. Do I believe it should be opened up to traffic? Absolutely. But more importantly, why can't we listen to our police? Our police, our chief, all our command staff are telling us, cut the liquor off. The chief of Miami-Dade, Freddie Ramirez, came to the city the other day and he said, you will not be able to police your way out of it. So can you imagine you're a police officer? Let me just, can I, these... can I just ask you to, to um, sure. sort of clarify something. Cut the liquor off. The liquor comes from a lot of places. And I just want to stipulate, I, I have no horse in this race. I'm just asking, I'm challenging the narrative here. Liquor sure. comes from liquor stores across the bay in Miami, from people's mm -hmm. homes, from a lot of different places. So cutting the liquor off at certain businesses who play by the rules in the middle of the night for three hours, what, what difference does that make? Because what it does, Glenna, is it sends a signal out to the world that Miami Beach is no longer going to be the spring break capital. We're going to be the art puzzle capital, capital of culture. So the reality is, like I said before, it's not those three hours specifically. It's the message we're sending out and the type of crowds we're attracting, which is an all-night party crowd. It, it's, by the way, it's not every bar. Look at the Fountain Blue. Look at people like David Grotman, responsible operators that are able to contain the party and do the right thing. We have a group of irresponsible operators, and unfortunately, they're putting out hundreds of thousands of dollars paying politicians to keep the party going. I, I got to tell you, unfortunately, the money is not on the on the 2 a.m. The money is on the 5 a.m. Yeah, because hold, they're protecting hold, hold their economic interests. Phil, hold on just a minute. Michael Greco, you were a former Miami City Commissioner. Code enforcement, not just police, but if a place is being mismanaged, if it's breaking code, why, don't, uh, why doesn't the city send in more code enforcement officers, cite these places, find them a lot of money, and get them to straighten up and fly right? That's a great question, but the problem is the city can't cite itself because what people don't know is the reason why Ocean Drive is legally allowed to have cars removed is because the city actually has, and I kid you not, a block party permit from the county that just expired last week. 
that party's on the outside. That's where the trustees of modern chemistry are out there drinking their drinks and causing problems. Not the folks that are inside Mangoes having a 3 a.m. mojito. Again, there is no nexus between what's going on out in the street and what's going in inside these legacy businesses. And it's not just Ocean Drive. This pitch, this ballot measure is citywide, except, and this is the, this is the kicker, except for some exceptions. And they, we don't know what those exceptions are, but I can tell you they're going to be driven by money. They're going to be driven by campaign contributions. And even scarier, they might be driven by the kind of music that a business might actually play. So I know that we're living in this like footloose fantasy where John Lithgow's coming in and telling everybody they can't dance, but this is ridiculous. Our Basel came here because there are things to do at night, not because people want to stare at the architecture all day. All right, let me put up, you just mentioned the actual referendum. Again, this is a straw poll, non-binding, following one a couple of years ago that was binding that failed. So take a look at the screen. Here is what the it was actual- non-binding. This is what the actual uh, ballot question asks. City allows subject to exceptions. That, that's what, Michael, you were just talking about. The city allows subject to exceptions sale and consumption of alcoholic beverages uh, throughout the city from eight to five the following day. That's how it stands right now. So this is the question. Would you support changing 5 a.m. termination time to 2 a.m. throughout the city? And here's, here's the asterisk. With specific locations and related restrictions and exceptions to be determined by the city commission by ordinance. So Phil, if you're a Miami Beach voter, you're answering a question that has a lot more questions within it. And, and to your point about all the money going into this and the operators, there are operators across the bay. Um, you have property in Wynwood that's an entertainment value. There are people with money and a stake in whether or not Ocean Drive closes at 2 a.m. on both ways. So, so what is a voter to do with that question? First of all, Glenna, when the vote came up a few years back, it was also non-binding and they spent a fortune and they're spending a fortune and this is non-binding. This is nothing more than a guide. The people of Miami Beach have to say to themselves, are they tired of the all-night party? Are they tired of not being able to have the police resources in their neighborhood and yet have the police resources in a money-losing district like the, the actual entertainment zone? Which, by the way, and, I, and I, I think we all know it, it loses money for our system. It's actually $6.5 million cost of what it cost us for police in comparison to the resort taxes and real estate taxes that we collect, let alone the brand damage to our city. So the economics are against this as well. So the reality is, is that, yes, it should not be citywide. It should be contained to a little area, and it should be looked at by the mayor and the commission. And this is nothing more than the people saying, yes, it's time for us to take a look at this all-night party. That's what this vote is about. Yeah, Michael Greco, uh, let me go back to something you said earlier. And by the way, for the record, I would like to say my wife and I like to go to the Betsy Hotel now and again because it's a great place to hear music, have a good meal. So, yes, we do go south uh, of Lincoln Road, but it's a kind of chancy down there. Uh, Michael, we know that violent crime, according to the police department, is up in South Beach by 35 percent in the first six months of this year. We report on, on it uh, on Local 10 News all the time. All the media do. So uh, what does that tell you? Something is wrong down there. It absolutely is. And, and you're talking to the only person on this conversation who is actually physically in South Beach. I, I live in South Beach. I can walk to Ocean Drive. And I have grave concerns about the increase in crime. 
But the biggest uptick in crime that we had was, get ready for this, when we had a midnight curfew. And this was about a year and a half ago. So there's really no nexus between somebody getting shot or robbed at six o'clock in the afternoon. And again, somebody having a mojito at three o'clock in the morning. They have not established any sort of nexus. And it's one of these things, it's a red herring trying to distract away from city hall's ability or inability to control chaos and mayhem on the streets. And in fact, they've contributed to it by shutting down roads and making it almost impossible for the police to be able to respond to calls for service. And even the FOP president, our police union president has asked, open up the street, let's see what we can do. There are different ways to do community policing here in South Florida and here in South Beach. But at the same time, blaming it on a handful of businesses, and, and the mayor just said it himself that, this isn't citywide, this is about a handful of businesses, but it's not. And, and it's, it's a red herring and, and it's blaming somebody for the problem that you've created. And, and it's, it's very frustrating to watch. Okay, so we have a couple of other issues to talk about within this issue. So we are gonna take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes to continue, stay tuned. On this Sunday morning and this week in South Florida, State Representative Michael Greco of Miami Beach, former Miami Beach Mayor Philip Levine, we're talking about the November 2nd ballot issue. Uh, Mayor Levine, let me ask you, uh, your successor, Mayor Dan Gelber, running for re-election, says he wants to change South Beach, sort of overhaul it into a blend of mixed use of uh, restaurants and, and apartment buildings and offices. Uh, and the question really becomes, how do you change it? Do you, wouldn't you begin with rezoning? I mean, uh, and wouldn't the commission begin there? Michael, I, I agree with you, but I think it's a multi-pronged uh, process. Right now, we have a situation where the patient is hemorrhaging and we need to go out there on the battlefield with triage. We need to calm the situation down. We need to let the residents and the country know that South Beach is becoming safer. So yes, I agree. But on the one thing we have to do is we need to stop sending out the signal of the all-night party. Then step two is yes, we need to rezone. We need to have better entitlements. We need to create an environment uh, where it will be a work-play environment where people will come there to, to live and to have their offices and sip cappuccino and, and literally create a different environment. But you have to stop the bleeding before you go in there with this. And I listen, I, I, can, I can tell you that uh, I know that the Wallachs that own mangoes, they've been trying to sell that property for years. They can't sell it. But once this process starts, once they have better entitlements and it can be rezoned and reimagined, they'll be able to sell their property and they should be encouraging this process. You know, um, instead of encouraging the process, as long as you brought up the Wallachs at Mangoes, we covered, uh, I, I was, I'm going to call it a campaign event there this week, <laughs> where for this campaign, they brought in a lot of seniors to Mangoes who live in the area. Why senior citizens who, I'm going to guess, have never been inside Mangoes and probably were out before 7 p.m.? Um, because they're the voters. Senior citizens are the super voters, not only in Miami Beach, but all over South Florida. And they were brought into Mangoes to see firsthand what happens in there. Um, Mike Rico, you as a South Beach resident, these are your neighbors. Were you there that night? And, and what did you learn? 
I was there, Glenna, and uh, you know, I, I wanted. I, it, they, they, it was a great event to be quite to be quite honest. I've seen it many times. It's not the first time the seniors have been over to Mangoes. Um, I live across the street from one of our largest senior centers. Um, but I want to go back to the point about the rezoning for a second. Um, you know, I visit Naples several times a year. I don't want to live in Naples. It's nice. It's, it's beautiful. It's a nice place to visit. I live in South Beach. And I made that decision back in 1999 when I moved here. I've raised a family here. And I think it's it's somewhat disingenuous to now come in 20 plus years later and say, you know what, we just want to change things. And, and you know, we want to change the way everything is when the goose that laid the golden egg, which is our nightlife industry and our tourism industry, um, would suffer gravely as a result of it. I just, I just don't want to see developers coming in, you know, building up high rises where these architectural, beauty, architecturally beautiful buildings are. It's not something that I want to see. But yeah. Okay. I, can I, can I just, um, can I just bring you back to the question? No disrespect to Naples, but I know a lot of people feel like you do. Um, but as a South Beach resident whose neighbors are a lot of senior citizens who've lived on the beach decades, who were there that night, what did they say? What do they think? They said they know where they live. It's to the same point. You know, they, they, there's plenty of other places along the water with beautiful weather that you can live. And people decided that they wanted to live, um, whether it be ride out their golden years or, or lit, raise a family here in South Beach and in South Florida, specifically in Miami Beach. They know what they signed up for. There wasn't a different brochure when they came and moved into South Beach. So to come back in and now say we want to change the entire nature of, of what we are, it's 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 a little scary. And, and you know, I, I believe that the developers are are are, are licking their chops hoping that these properties and these businesses devalue so they can go ahead and clean up and go ahead and build whatever they want. So Phil, can, can you can you answer that? Who is it besides, yes, like, besides the like people you're talking about? Who is it on the beach that is complaining, not about the crime, but Glenna? about the specific Ocean Drive reputation? Sure. Glenna, let me say this, and it's sad to hear this. You know, you know what's disingenuous? Dragging seniors in to give them a little dinner and trying to convince them of something which they don't agree with. All I could hope is that Mangos provided those seniors Kevlar vests before they went to that event and got them out before it actually oh, the sun went down. Okay, so that's the reality of the situation. Let's call it what it is, okay? But you know what's horribly disingenuous? What's horribly disingenuous is the father who died protecting his little baby boy on Ocean Drive. You know what's disingenuous? Having a brick thrown into your window of your apartment on Ocean Drive and picking up glass on your little kid's yeah, bed. Phil, I'm going to jump what's in disingenu here. We, but what's disingenuous I, I, is, I, is truly creating and levying the situation continue. Yeah, That's you're disingenuous. Citing, Phil, excuse me. You are citing truly contemptible, reprehensible things that have happened on Absolutely. South Beach. But I, I would point out that Dustin Wakefield, this you know innocent young man who stood up and took a bullet so, to protect his son, they were eating outside on Ocean Drive at a restaurant, that happened in the middle of the day, or actually and late Michael, in the like afternoon. Said, there was nothing like to do with a 2 a.m. you know no, drinking ban. If you if you send out the signal, you will attract the wrong people. If you send out a different signal, you'll attract a different type of crowd. So do, I can't agree with you with that. Michael. Do you see um, thinking about that crime? Thinking about years worth of crimes that we've covered here that have been committed by. Um, mentally ill people who probably wouldn't be mm -hmm. criminals if not for their mental illness. I know Miami Beach has really struggled with that a long time. How does, does that fit into this scenario at all, Michael? It, it, it doesn't. You know, the, the, the city spends millions of dollars addressing homelessness. We spend 
you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on 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 police and, and code and, and everything that goes into it. And again, this is a red herring where the city is not taking responsibility for the fact that city halls let things get out of hand and they're not addressing it, whether it be at the courthouse, whether it be on the law enforcement side, but it really comes down to the elected officials and the bureaucrats in city hall not taking responsibility for letting things continuously get worse. And here's the scary part. At 2 a.m., if you close a business and you tell them, okay, party's over, everybody go outside, the party's not going to end. The party's just going to relocate. And all we're going to be doing is creating a secondary market for illegal Airbnbs to have party houses, whether it be in Flamingo Park or in the single family home neighborhoods. So instead of the party being inside Mangoes or inside Live or inside some of the other nightclubs, yeah. you're going to have it in houses and in multiplexes over yeah. in uh, over in Flamingo Park. All right, Michael so Rico. I mean, this is going to be a problem for everybody. That is going to be the final word for now for you to uh, Philip Levine. Thanks, of course. Voters have the final say November 2nd. We will see what they say then. Thanks but so gentlemen, much. thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Masks and money are again at the center of an escalating fight between the state and South Florida schools. The salaries of Miami-Dade and the Broward School Board members are on the line. We're going to hear from them both next. Masks and money are at the center of an escalating dispute between the state of Florida and eight local school districts that are defying state rules against mask wearing. Among the eight districts, both Miami-Dade and Broward County Public Schools all now facing the prospect of financial consequences. School board members' salaries are threatened. Two are right there with us today. Broward School Board member Sarah Leonardi and Lucia Baez-Geller, Miami-Dade board member. Ladies, great to have you with us this morning. Great to see you. Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for having us. Sarah, let me uh, start with you because we spoke, I think, in August. Uh, you and Lucia as well were there, and then a Palm Beach board member as well. We're looking at fighting back legally against the state mandate. Um, this week on Thursday, another, another shot across the bow from the Department of Education in the state. Um, and so where is your legal response right now? Right. Last week, uh, we, along with, I believe, five other school districts, including Miami-Dade County Public Schools, filed a petition uh, to invalidate the emergency rule. So that's where we are legally right now. And has that been answered yet? Not to my knowledge. Uh, Lucia, uh, you and the, and the Broward School District, I mean, you both have the CDC guidelines behind you. You have the American Academy of Pediatrics. You have your own medical advisors that have said, yes, we believe the healthiest way for kids to go to school is on a mask. And yet here you've got the State Education Commissioner, the, the new uh, 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 chief doctor for the state, and the governor all saying, hey, you can't do this. So why are you right and why are they wrong? Well, you know, it's been really disappointing because, as you said, uh, the science and the information says that we're on the right path. But really and truly, I believe the legal advice and I believe the Tallahassee judge a few months ago that we are, as school board members, in our right to protect our students. And I believe that this legal back and forth, it's over technicalities pretty much. 
But at the bottom line, we have a local decision-making authority that says that we have the right to protect our students. So it's clash of the titans as we stand right now, but, but here's the other side of the coin. State law, as it were, at the moment, you're violating it. And, um, and in fact, the, the Board of Education, uh, the Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran on Thursday, um, pretty much talked about these districts violating the rights of parents. I'm reading a little bit so I get his words right. Violating the rights of parents, personal and private health decisions for their children. So technically speaking, Broward and Dade are violating state law at the moment. How do you handle that, Lucia? Well, I mean, for me personally, I feel like this is an example of, you know, overreach by our governor and commissioner of education and kind of playing with people's lives. I, I think that it's morally wrong to be kind of applying this law. We have stated that we're going to be following the science and I just, I call on them to really change their course. I believe that we are on the right side of the issue and we will continue doing that in order to protect our students. Oh, okay, um, po point taken, but right now, um, Sarah, it's the law. That, that was, let me rephrase the question a little bit. Right now, you're violating state law. Initially, there were 11 districts doing the same thing, not eight, and three of them, including Sarasota, just as an example, redid their rules to fit state law. Um, Broward has not done that, and, and so I, I'd like to hear you speak to sort of that portion. So I would actually counter that with um, the fact that the Board of Education is in violation of the Florida Constitution under Article 9, Section 1, Paragraph A, to which Lucia and I swore an oath to provide a safe and secure system of high-quality public schools. Um, and we did that, and we are continuing to do that by implementing public safety measures recommended by medical professionals. And additionally, Richard Corcoran got an, a letter from the U.S. Department of Education this week stating that he could be in violation of um, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, uh, which you know states that in, in Section 8522, states that they cannot take under consideration federal money that is given to local school districts when it comes to applying state aid. Yeah. So I think that the Board of Education and the governor are facing legal um, troubles on multiple fronts, not us. Just for the record, we want to point out, we have invited for the last couple of weeks, State Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran to join this conversation, and thus far he has declined. Sarah Leonardi, you didn't run for the school board to make a lot of money. You're not paid, frankly, all that much money, but now you're getting no money because the governor and the Education Commissioner of the State Board of Education have cut off the salaries to you, and then when Washington tried to make up the difference, the state has said, no, you can't have the money. Are you irritated by that? I am irritated that the commissioner of education and the governor continue to play politics with the health and safety of our public servants and our public school children. Uh, that's what irritates me. So is that, <laughs> Lucia, take, take that question because the fine, you know, to Michael's point, the financial consequences really are what is available for the Department of Education right now um, at the, the state level. The federal Department of Education tried to backfill that 
And so the, the fight over money is really a fight over consequence. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's you that is personally affected by that right now. Yeah, I mean, I think this the idea of this is really repugnant in many ways, but threatening to take away our salaries is obviously not going to affect our decision. And we're really just doing what we have to do. And the only people that are losing here are the students. These are funds that are much needed in our districts. We know how much our students have been suffering. And it's, it's really a shame. It's repugnant to me. Sarah, the $421,000 that the Biden administration has already sent to Broward, that's a, a year's worth of salaries for the, for the board members. Wh where is that money yeah. now? Um, I'm not quite sure. Things have really been happening very quickly um, with, you know, the back and forth with the state and us applying for the SAFE grant. So um, I, I really am not sure what's going on with that money right now. Yeah, except that's not in your bank account. We, we know that for sure. Uh, Lucia, let me ask you, this week uh, you, the board, and Superintendent Alberto Carvalho indicated that you're going to change some of the COVID-19 protocols when it comes to quarantining previously, any student who was exposed to COVID-19 had to really be out of school for 10 days. What is your new policy? Well, absolutely. Due to a decrease in COVID numbers, and as we continue to say, we're gonna be following the science, following the actual county statistics. Um, we have seen that we can relax the quarantine protocol to after five days, students can return with a negative test. And this is just one of the many things that we've been doing to make sure our students are in the classrooms as much as possible. And it's part of our initial mask mandate that we will be reviewing these. So it's been narrowly tailored from the beginning to be real time and to be in the best interest of our students' education above everything else, but of course, following the science. And let, let me follow up if I can. I think that as I heard Alberto Corvallo speak uh, this week, he strongly indicated that as positivity rates go down, as the uh, Delta variant uh, surge continues to drop, you know, that the school board, that you and your fellow eight members are going to reconsider uh, and perhaps change uh, the mandatory mass policies. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, we're hopeful that the numbers continue. We're happy with the direction that they're going in. And as of right now, I am in total agreement of that. I would just like to make sure that we see for a sustained period of time these low numbers before we make any drastic changes because we do want to ensure that we're on the right path before we do anything else. And Sarah, remind us in Broward what the quarantine procedures are. And mm -hmm. I, I think the state also mandates that quarantine procedures be a parent's choice as well. Is that right? That is correct. It, it seemed that with the appointment of a new Surgeon General, uh, there were new quarantine guidelines and we are continuing with our original quarantine guidelines from the beginning of the year. It's honestly like a, a very complicated uh, tree of decisions. So if you're asymptomatic or symptomatic and you've been exposed, you have to quarantine for a different number of days. Um, but we're sticking with that. And just like Miami-Dade County Public Schools this week, we we've uh, decided to um, readdress the, the mask policy as well as the quarantine policy 
um, at a certain point of, of positivity rates for, I believe, an average of 10 days. So again, we're following the science. We're not committed to this forever. Um, we just want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence and listening to medical professionals. All right, Sarah, Lucia, stay exactly where you are, and we will be back with more questions in just a minute. back with South Florida School Board members Broward, Sarah Leonardi, and Miami-Dade's Lucia Baez-Geller talking about masks, mask mandates, and the state consequences. I want to just, before we move on to anything else, get a, a real practical sense of what's going on in the districts. If you both would, Sarah, start with you. Practically speaking, how many Broward schools' parents would uh, opt out of the mask mandate if mm -hmm. they could? What, what numbers are we talking about? So as far as we know, with the daily reporting um, of, of students who are not in compliance with the, the mask mandate, it's, I, th I believe, at most 10 students per day out of, you know, 200 and over 250,000 students. Um, so a very, very small minority. And Lucia, does Miami-Dade have those, that same kind of ratio? And if so, is this a fight that that's worth fighting with those numbers right yeah i mean same very low numbers uh, according to our schools very few incidents also most kids are in compliance um, the vast majority are happy uh, our parents teachers and students with just being back in school remember a lot of these kids were not in school for so long and they are ready to comply as long as they feel safe and many parents want that and are participating in the process. It's a vocal minority that is really kind of making their their position heard, but most are very happy. So we continue to do what we have to legally so that we can continue to protect our students. Uh, ladies, there's been a lot of controversy over the last week or so, about $2.3 billion for Florida for education, which is sort of sitting there because the state education department and the commissioner didn't ask for it well late this week they did ask for it and uh lucia i see that miami-dade county public schools is going to get one billion five hundred thousand dollars what what is that money going to do oh these funds they're absolutely essential to the academic emotional and social needs of our students a lot of it has already been planned out and designated so we definitely thank our superintendent for being firm on this issue. And just the impact is going to be way beyond COVID. It's for health, it's safety, mental health, support personnel. And we're going to continue to fight for it because it's ready and we need it. Well, I did see that Christina Pusha, who is the, the sort of uh, combative prosecutory for Governor DeSantis, at one point, uh, Sarah, she essentially said, Florida's already got enough money for education. Uh, that was before they finally asked for it. I mean, Broward can use this money as well. Right, and I think that, you know, their flippant approach to literal billions of dollars in federal aid that could go to addressing, you know, academic and social, social emotional gaps for our students uh, really demonstrates uh, an agenda of dismantling public education in the state, and it tracks with uh, decades of, of that agenda in the state um, with, through the GOP and state leadership. I, I think, let me just ask the question I think um, 
the opposition might ask if they were with us today, those, those dollars are non-recurring. So when you use the dollars mm -hmm. for these very worthy programs and necessary programs, what happens in the next budget cycle to those programs? Right. Well, luckily, we have very well-equipped uh, financial folks in, in our school district and a, an interim chief financial officer who constantly reminds us that these dollars are not recurring. And so we're dedicating these dollars to uh, making infrastructure upgrades, HVAC improvements, as well as hiring temporary um, tutors and, and people like that to address the real academic gaps in, in, that, that our students are experiencing because of this pandemic. Uh, let me ask you both a, a, a question with a kind of a preamble, which is, in my opinion, I think serving on a school board is about a noble as elected position as there is. You both run, you know, as, in a nonpartisan way. You don't run as a Democrat or Republican. Uh, over the last month or two, school board members around the country have been harangued, have been harassed, have been threatened by people who do who are objecting to wearing masks. Now it's happened in some other districts in Florida, but Sarah, uh, have you heard any threats in Broward County? Um, you know, I, I think that we're all kind of getting conditioned to getting daily harassing emails from people. Um, I, I've certainly received some disturbing, uh, mostly anonymous words from folks. Um, I didn't, like you said, run run for, for this position because it makes a lot of money or it, you know, it's, it's a lot of shine or anything like that. I did it to serve um, and to serve our, our kids and our, our public schools employees. And so um, while it's very disappointing that the rhetoric has gotten to this point, uh, I just try to ignore it and, and do my best to provide a quality education for our students. Yeah, and Lucia, what about you? We know that there have been outside the Miami-Dade School Headquarters building. Uh, there have been some noisy protests, but have they actually come in and threatened you and your fellow board members? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of those threats and, and harassment is really being fueled by a divisive rhetoric, a lot of it coming from up top from our governor. And I think our board members across the state have been under a tremendous amount of pressure really not seen before in, in a long time. And everyone has a right to their voice and it's a democracy and we're happy that parents and community members are participating in the process. But I think we want them to be very well informed and a lot of them have not necessarily been that way. And they're very passionate, but there's a lot that we disagree on. And I really applaud all of our board members across the state for for their what they're doing and for standing up for our students. Miami-Dade School Board Member Lucia Baez-Geller and Broward School Board Member Sarah Leonardi, uh, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives and you always are a friend of this program anytime and uh, we thank you for your time. We will see you soon, thanks so much. In Washington, these are anxious days for the Biden administration and for the vice president. Up next, our DC bureau chief speaks one-on-one -on -one with Vice President Kamala Harris. Stay tuned.
National News almost always has a local South Florida <laughs> connection, and this week was no exception. Big decisions coming this week about money, how much, and where it's going. Our D.C. Bureau Chief Ben Kennedy goes there with his one and only one-on-one -on -one with Vice President Kamala Harris this week. So let's start with infrastructure. In an exclusive interview with Local 10, Vice President Harris talked about the latest efforts to pass an infrastructure bill. Florida has over 400 bridges that are in bad condition, that over 700,000 people don't have access to affordable high-speed Internet. It's a big issue in Florida and South Florida. This is the House debates the president's $3.5 trillion budget plan to invest in climate change, education, and health care. We're talking about things like child care. You know, one of the things the pandemic made really clear is the number of working parents who need child care to do their work, but they need it to be affordable and accessible. But some members of Congress differ on the size and scope of the proposal, as some progressive lawmakers want it passed first before a vote on infrastructure. When we're talking about infrastructure, it really has a direct impact on people in their daily lives. Everything from roads and bridges to broadband. Her remarks come as the fate of the U.S. economy hangs in the balance. Congress has until October 18th to raise the debt ceiling, as Thursday the Senate announced a breakthrough. Republican and Democratic members and staff negotiated through the night. We have reached agreement to extend the debt ceiling through early December. I think it's a positive step forward um, and you know we have to pay our bills. In December lawmakers will face two big deals to fund the government and to extend the debt ceiling. Should Americans be worried we'll be right back where we started. Well listen here's the thing about the debt ceiling and really it is similar to what you and I and all your viewers know about our own lives and 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 in that way the government and the country is no different. You rack up bills as part of the cost of living. You need to pay your bills. When you don't pay your bills, then the people that you do business with lose confidence in you. In March, the vice president was tasked with addressing the root causes of migration from Central America as state officials in Texas prepare for another possible surge of Haitian migrants at the border. The country of Haiti has experienced extreme hardship for a long period of time. What we all know is just even in the last decade, what has been obvious and even before that, but hurricanes and floods and, and the assassination of a president. And the, what we are doing as the United States government is saying, let's give aid to Haiti. Let's also provide for temporary protected status for Haitian immigrants. What changes are being done at the border in light of what happened in Del Rio? What we are doing and, and what we've been doing through the Department of Homeland Security is making sure that one, we can um, reconstruct the system in a way that is humanitarian and is humane, but also that is about protecting um, what we need to do in terms of making sure that we have processes in place that are fair and allow people due process. The vice president said the U.S. is also working with other nations on the humanitarian needs of the country. Um, last week, actually, during um, the UN week, President uh, or Prime Minister Boris Johnson was here from, from the United Kingdom and I had a, a meeting with him and I talked with him about it and said, hey, you know, the United States and the United Kingdom, we've partnered on many things. Let's, let's partner on this as well. And that's been our approach. This should be about an, a, a global and an international agreement that, especially for those of us who are in the Western Hemisphere, but beyond, Haiti needs help and so let's give it. 
The White House initially provided 55,000 Haitian immigrants with temporary protective status and then added another 100,000, Harris said. The bottom line is that as an international community, we also, meaning us and our neighbors and allies around the globe, need to focus on the humanitarian needs of that country that has been so battered. In Washington, Ben Kennedy, Local 10 News. Our thanks to Ben. And we'll be right back. you know somehow we're talking about TikTok here not sure how that happened listen thank you so much for being here as always we're grateful for your time and remember we are online 24 7 at local10.com and remember as always stay informed get involved have a great sunday